Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm your host, Paul Garcia. Today, it's my pleasure to be speaking with three men who are serving important roles in this year's 100th and final American Passion Play in Bloomington, Illinois, a play depicting the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. The men in studio today are John Capasso, this year's show director, Bob Trefsker, who plays Judas, and Nathan Bassett, who plays Jesus. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming in today. Thank you for having us. Glad, glad to be here. Of course, the pleasure is all ours. So let's get down to the bad news first. I did say this is the 100th year in the final year. Why is this a final year of the show? You know, the uh, the audiences have fallen off over the uh, over the years, and uh, unfortunately, and uh, uh, other things have. Um, you know, kind of popped into people's minds and, and in front of people such as television and movies and things like that to be able to watch the passion story uh, in various other media, uh, which has kind of um, maybe made ours not quite as attractive as it used to be. Uh, our audiences used to be quite, quite large, and uh, it used to be the thing to do to go to the American Passion Play. Um, in fact, in 1930, you may or may not be interested to know, in 1930, 23,000 people came to watch the play. 23,000 people. Correct. Wow. Now, that was at the height of the uh, 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 Great Depression, and uh, household income was roughly $1,400, and they still paid a buck and a half to come to that show from all over the Midwest. Um, so that, that, that's kind of the mark. Uh, we, we knew we'd probably never reach that again. But in 1998, the audiences were well over 9,000 people. Uh, last year, they were about 1,400. So uh, mm. over the years, it's just gradually declined. And uh, people pay to see the show. And when they don't come, they don't pay. And uh, so it has become a financial issue. And uh, the trustees, I think, have decided that uh, wisely, I think, that uh, there's just no way to continue the play. Yeah, still- I, I think I'd add uh, to what John just said, just a couple of items. Uh, certainly, COVID has taken its toll on our productions, as it has uh, for many other institutions. Um, we had to drop out for a couple of years, uh, but we definitely want to uh, uh, finish strong and do um, – do a ministry that um, finishes in a way that people will continue to talk about it for years to come. So while we're sad um, that this ministry is coming to an end here after 100 years, um, we also know that God has a way of using uh, these kinds of uh, productions and these kinds of ministries in a way that plants the seeds for other generations of people to continue to tell the story. So in no way do we think um, just because this particular play and this particular production needs to kind of finish its course that there won't be others that pick up and other ways to and other media to share the message going forward. Absolutely. One of the most popular shows on TV right now or streaming services is The Chosen. Mm-hmm. The Chosen, it just shows that it's it's possible to be wildly successful telling the story of the passion of our our Lord. Uh, and it's it's not 
some people think it's the issue of people not believing in God or maybe Christianity becoming a lame thing, but it's just not the case. Although the popular form of media may change from plays to streaming to live TV to who knows what else. It just changes. However, the most important thing might be, if you want to look at, at this optimistically, that the desire to hear the story has not gone down. At least that's how I see it. And um, so what led each one of you, we'll start with with you, um, Nathan, who plays Jesus. What got you started in wanting to even be a part of this play? And, and when did you start? Well, actually, yeah, that's a funny story. My uh, father was invited to participate in the play by someone up in the area that we were living at the time, and that was around Galesburg. And um, my father was a pastor, so he slipped out of church really quick and and hooked up with this guy who brought him to Bloomington. And uh, my father thought it would be great to involve me one day, so I went with him. And it was a Saturday performance, and we had a Sunday the following the following day. And after church, he heads out heads out the back door, and I'm right behind him, and he looks at me and he says. Well, where do you think you're going? And I said, I'm going to be part of the play. <laughs> and that was uh, probably 1974 or 5. Um, and um, I did take a break for a few years, um, but I've been in the play every year that I could possibly uh, manage it. And what other positions have you played in the play? Well, like a lot of people, what positions have we not played? Oh, I see. <laughs> many of us have taken many roles. Uh, uh, I've played uh, Annunciator, who is what I call Pilate's right-hand man. He introduces things that come into his court, been part of the mob, uh, played governor of the feast of the wedding, uh, wedding at uh, Cana of Galilee, played the disciple John for 17 years, and uh, now I'm playing the role of Jesus. Wow, okay. So you mentioned the wedding feast at Cana? Yes. That's in this play. Yes, it is. What? What exactly, when does this play depict, like, a, when does it start in the timeline of our Lord? Because I didn't know that it would include the wedding feast at Cana. So one of the very interesting features of the American Passion Play as it's performed here um, in Bloomington Normal is that it depicts more than just the Passion Week. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's, one of, uh, that's one of the outstanding features is that we – uh, have crafted a play that also builds character development. So when Passion Week begins, which is our really our second half of the play, we already have the character development. We understand a little bit more about, uh, we can follow around Jesus and some of his key uh, ministry moments, some of his key healings. Um, we, we come to understand why the political and religious elite uh, begin to feel a paradigm shift and they're losing power and that helps drive mm. then the second half in terms of the audience being drawn into the action and understanding a little better. So this is one of the key features of the play as it is performed here. Very interesting. I really, really like that. It makes me think about how much work must go into the production of this play and the practicing of it. And while I've got you, I am talking right now to Bob Trefsker who plays Judas this year. What got you started in all this? Well, uh, <clears throat> like Nathan, uh, these are always interesting stories. So, when I was in ni- when I was uh, in fifth grade in 1965, <laughs> uh, 
My father was we're playing. counting. We're counting. Let's see. <laughs> okay, I got it. I don't count that high. <laughs> yeah, about sixty uh, some years ago, um, uh, my father was asked to play the uh, disciple John, and uh, just as uh, Nathan, who just spoke here a minute ago, he played the disciple John. His father played the disciple John, and before his father's played the disciple John. My father played the disciple John. Mm. Um, uh, I ended up later playing the disciple John before I played Judas. But in 1965, I was a 10-year-old kid in the play. Um, I just thought it was some of the most interesting, um, gripping things that I could be involved with. I enjoyed the people of the play. I continued to come back until... um, I went off to college and graduate school, and then I came back, and I've been in the play ever since. Um, some of my main roles were the disciple John uh, for a number of years, and then I've been Judas for the last 33 years. Mm. Very interesting. And uh, up next is John Capasso, Dr. John Capasso. You have been in this play for a number of years as well, if I understand correctly, but this is the first year that you are the director. Is that right? Well, actually, I, I've done a little directing before this year. I, I've been a co-director with a gentleman named Gary Burr. And uh, while I was on stage, you know, some of the time, I, I uh, <clears throat> was also doing uh, some duties as uh, as director. So this uh, this year, it looks like I may be doing, uh, you know, most of that uh, myself. I'm not sure what uh, Mr. Burr's uh, um, capacity is going to be in that. I hope he, I hope he comes and helps out because he's really knowledgeable about the play but uh, I uh, my start in the play was not unlike these uh, gentlemen um, I started in the choir in the mid 70s and uh, sang for I don't know two or three years and uh, I, I my experience was the same in that um, the play became kind of legendary to me uh, while I was in the choir all this was going on down on stage and it was kind of like Look at that going down there. I mean, it's just like, well, that's the Bible. <laughs> that's the Bible, you know, being personified there. In fact, the choir, I admit this now, uh, the choir used to stand behind the curtain and sing behind the disciples when they end the uh, the Last Supper. I don't know why. I'm sure they all could sing well, but they, they got the choir to, to support them. You remember that, don't mm-hmm. you? Yes. yes. <laughs> and as the, uh, you know, the song would end and the curtain would go up and I saw these disciples and Jesus kind of you know, go away and prepare for the next scene, there was this, it's kind of dark, it's a nocturnal scene, and there's kind of blue light coming down. It's like, that's the Bible. It's right there. There they are. It seemed really holy somehow that, uh, you know, I was, I was watching the Bible happen right there. They just rushed. It, it, it just really came to life for me at that moment. Um, but I was, I was out for a few years, and then I came back. I responded to a, an ad uh, that uh, called for, you know, open auditions for the show. And so I, I, I read and um, got the part of uh, Pilate and John the Baptist, and I uh, played them in the same performance. So I would be John the Baptist in the beginning, fairly good guy, and then Pontius Pilate, fairly bad guy uh, in the second <laughs> half, and uh, that was really fun. And the next year, I, I uh, was honored to get the role of the, of the Christus, and I played that for 35 seasons. You played Jesus for 35 seasons? I did. Hmm. I almost, 
knew the part by the end. (laughs) (laughs) Almost had it nailed. Well, so what's it like to go from playing Pontius Pilate to Jesus? Because surely you have to embrace these roles and try to feel and act the ways that they really did. So these are two different ends of the spectrum, Pilate and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Was that was that interesting for you at all? That's an excellent question, Paul. Uh, I'm going I'm to give you the director's answer to this. <laughs> um, see, I, 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 I think Pilate might have been misunderstood. I, I don't think Pilate really wanted to execute Jesus. I think he saw that that was wrong. I think he saw that there was, it was unwarranted to, uh, to call for this man's destruction. He bowed to political pressure, okay? He wanted to keep his phony job, Mm -hmm. so he did what he did. But I don't think he really wanted to. So we've kind of, I don't know, tried to move Pilate in the direction of uh, a little more sympathetic, that he doesn't understand Jesus, doesn't understand anything about him, doesn't understand why he did what he did. He keeps asking him questions, and I I think Pilate felt all he had to do was answer and defend himself and you know, probably would have let him go or, or something, but uh, but he wouldn't. And uh, um, but but I think during that during that time there, I think Pilate is is sympathetic. He doesn't want he doesn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. They, these guys may disagree, but uh, no, I agree. Um, he he has this sympathetic side to him. Just like you know, you can't write off the character of Judas as just a traitorous bad guy. He's extremely complex character, very torn, uh, very conflicted mm. about what he's going to do. He doesn't know what to do. Even has to, you know, do a couple of soliloquies just to psych himself up to do this to his friend Jesus. Uh, you know, he doesn't really want to. And then, of course, afterwards, you know, I'll know the story. He horribly regrets it, feels horrible guilt over it and, and hangs himself, gives the money back and hangs himself. Of course, the damage was done by then. But uh, these characters are just, um, I think we've worked, and I speak for these two gentlemen too because they have worked, to make these characters not just statues that the Bible describes. They're real people, and they had feelings, and they had mm. conflict within them, and they didn't always agree with everybody, but they could have a good time, and they could go to the wedding at Cana and drink some wine. Once the master produced some for them, they, uh, they, they, you know, they had a good time. They were just regular people. They told jokes, and you know, they, had, they had some fun. Uh, so they, I think uh, to make them uh, you know, more complex characters, which these guys do, and the principal, the principal uh, characters in the play all do that, you know, but they're very complex. They're very um, difficult to play well, and uh, I think you – and know, I hope audiences appreciate that, you know, how difficult it is to play these roles. One of the things that, uh, that is a hallmark of – the production here in Bloomington um, is this intimate theater environment that we have and to be able to draw audiences, uh, sort of transform them in time or transport them in time back to this, um, uh, the time of Christ and to be drawn into the action. And part of what we're saying here about some of the complexities, of the characters that might not be able to be done in other productions, because sometimes those are done way off and they're sort of standing way away and they might have pre-recorded uh, dialogue or something mm-hmm. here. We can draw people very close to the action and people can then be drawn into at least partially identifying with some of the characters in a different way because they're in person. They're there in person witnessing uh, the action. So, you know, who among us 
has never sold out a friend. <laughs> um, who among us hasn't gone along with the crowd because it's just politically expedient? Done something for money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who, who among us hasn't done some of these things? So we don't really want people walking away uh, identifying solely as, uh, you know, with the, all the bad guys somehow. And <laughs> But what we're trying to do is is show that, you know, there's there's a little uh, larceny in all of us and we all stand in need. And um, uh, and here's this figure of Christ um, that is kind of bridging all of these gulfs in, in our uh, human frailties and the gaps that we have and still inviting us despite all these horrible um, <laughs> uh, ideas of, you know, falling short or uh, sins of commission, omission, and still offering us um, a path to, uh, with him to eternity. And so so I think it, it actually makes it uh, much more uh, gripping for the audience to be that close to the action, as well as um, be able to identify with some of the characters that are flawed. Mm-hmm. Um and see how Jesus still interrelates to these figures and, and how the story of his grace um, and how that, how that wins out. That's extremely fascinating. The insights that you gain from these positions that you serve is more than fascinating. We're going to talk a little more about that in just one second. But first, here are a few words from our beloved sponsors. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Again this year, the Village at Mercy Creek was voted the best senior living facility and the best assisted living in central Illinois by the most recent Reader's Choice Awards. But they've also added the best independent living facility as well. If you would like to find out why, yourself and how the Village at Mercy Creek can work for you and your family. Contact them at 309-268-1501 and set up your own personalized tour and find out what living joyfully at the Village at Mercy Creek is all about. This is it, the final performances ever in Bloomington, Illinois. This is the last season for the spectacular performances of the American Passion Play, the greatest story ever told. The American Passion Play brings Christian history to life with authentic costumes, elaborate settings, and live animals. There's intrigue, drama, friendship, and as the plot unfolds, betrayal, sorrow, and love. You must see the American Passion Play before its final curtain falls at the Center for the Performing Arts in Bloomington. Viewed by generation after generation, this is theater at its best. Performance dates are March 11, 18. 25 and April 1st, and each performance begins promptly at 1 p.m. Reserve your American Passion Play tickets today by calling 309-829-3903. This is an important message for DeKalb, Sycamore, Morris, and Joliet listeners. Catholic Spirit Radio's recent purchase of a radio station in your area has been an expensive endeavor, but a worthwhile investment because in this boisterous secular world, we want your community to hear more about the real truths and beauty of the Catholic faith. With the expansion in your area, we now need your added financial help to maintain it. It costs $7,000 a month to run Catholic Spirit Radio, even with our all-volunteer staff. Show us the station matters to you and the souls of your community. Become a first-time donor. 
Better yet, become a monthly donor. Join other listeners. When you pay your monthly bills, include a Catholic Spirit Radio donation. Mail to 108 Boykins Place in Normal, Illinois, 61761. Or click the Donate button at catholicspiritradio.org. No one at the station receives a salary, and all donations are tax-deductible. Your donation keeps Catholic Spirit Radio in your community. Hi, this is Kathy and Anne from Catholic Spirit Radio. We are looking for folks who would love to volunteer with us during our fundraisers and various other station events and tasks throughout the year. We really need volunteers in the DeKalb, Sycamore, Morris, Joliet, and Lincoln areas, as well as Bloomington Normal. If you have a few extra hours or more a month, put them to use for the Lord. We would love to add your name to our Catholic Spirit Radio volunteer list. Contact us at office at catholicspiritradio.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm your host, Paul Garcia, and today I'm talking with three gentlemen from the American Passion Play. Dr. John Capasso, who is the director, Bob Trefsker, who plays Judas, and Nathan Bassett, who plays Jesus. Guys, we were just talking about the insights that you gain from playing these various roles in this very important play. Uh, John, you were speaking about how Pontius Pilate was misunderstood, perhaps, and that Judas might have even been you know, not totally 100% bad to the core. You know, that's almost sounds blasphemous for me to say. Mm -hmm. However, much to our annoyance, just as people today, no one really is 100% bad to the core. As far as I know, we're all complex creatures with varying amounts of good and bad within us. And I'm sure it's probably maybe a little disturbing for some viewers to recognize that they share a lot of traits with someone like Pontius Pilate when they watch this, when they watch this play. So I just want to ask you guys kind of what, what have you learned from being in this play? Maybe a deeper insight to people, the Bible, Christ, the whole story. What is something that you learned that you haven't always known and whoever would like to go first with that? Well, I would say, I think being in the place since a young age, you kind of grow up in the play, and we talk about this this play as a cast family. We are all family. There's multi generations involved. Um, Bob alluded to his father playing John, and he played John, and my dad played John, and I played John, and that seems typical within the play. So it's kind of hard, really, to enumerate what have I learned if I were to sum it up in one thing, because you kind of because you grow up in the play. You just take the play with you. Everything, at least from my perspective, everything that I experience, whether it's familiar or unfamiliar, travels with me. It's part of my journey. And so I would say if there's, if I had to sum it up, I would have to say that no matter what situation you are in life, that um, if you don't give back in some way, then you're just taking you're just grabbing all you can. And I think we see that quite a bit. But until you start serving others, no matter what your circumstances, until you start giving back in, in some way, whether it's large or small, then you might be missing out part of this whole story that we're portraying because it is about giving. It's about serving. Um, and yes, we do see the taking part of it too. That's part of the story. That's part of our lives as, as individuals, not just to play. But it's until you start giving back in some way that you recognize maybe the value that you might have in this story. Mm-hmm. Well said. I'll, uh, I'll jump in with a couple of things. If I can remember them long enough to talk about them here. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, one has to do with sort of an ecumenical 
uh, point of view. We're um, certain we're we're interested in seeing people who are not churched or who have um, not ex- uh, not known the story of Christ to be able to come, and this is part of a Christian education and a way to experience the story of Christ um, in a uh, in a very intimate and personal way. Um, and yet m- many people who come are coming sort of for spiritual renewal purposes who already know Christ and know the story. Uh, but there is such a blending of the Christian community who comes to wit- that comes to witness the play. And as we in uh, American society, um, We've, we've noticed a big change in the last 50 years in terms of whether society kind of tacitly supports the Christian community. You know, there used to be a day where, oh, uh, we wouldn't have uh, schools schedule things on Wednesday nights because that was, a, say, a church night. That would be sort of an example, or we didn't have a lot of businesses open on Sundays and whatnot. Uh, it's It's... It's really more important than ever in today's society for Christians of all stripes um, to to be together and to witness together as such a high fraction uh, of beliefs are shared mm-hmm. among um, all denominations. And so uh, I think it's, it's gratifying to see that kind of cohesion from the audiences coming and interacting and then leaving together on that kind of a high note. Um, I think that um, uh, there's some other types of um, learnings that come from the play because as you age, um, and we all age, uh, some of the teachings, uh, some of the parables that are told, some of the action that is in the play becomes a facet like a diamond. Um, you see it one way when you're a kid. You see it a different way when you're a youth. You see it a different way when you're um, in the early parts of, say, your career as you, you know, now I'm in retirement personally. And I see some of the, the lessons that are being portrayed and um, acted out. Um have different and deeper meanings to me. So I think it's not a one and done thing as we, I think we all know when you go back to read a biblical passage uh, or confronted with some of the, uh, uh, some of, even some of the tougher teachings um, that are given by Christ, uh, uh, you know, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. There's so many things that seem somewhat counterintuitive to common day, uh, expressions of a society, but yet uh, have some fundamental truth underneath them that you see differently as you go through life. So I'll, I'll just wind it up there to say, I think it's, I think you continually learn mm-hmm. and you continually experience uh, some of these things in the play. Very, very interesting. I, I suppose that's uh, by design that the words of the Bible and that whole story, not only are they timeless in the grand scheme of humankind, you know, thousands of years now, but also they're timeless in your stage of life. You know, the different aspects of it bring about 
different profound meanings that stick out to you more that you can utilize more and more at different periods of time. That's that's really cool. I like that you said that. And John Capasso, what have you learned in your time with this play? Well, a lot, a lot um, <clears throat> to uh, kind of uh, maybe jump onto a couple of things uh, Bob was talking about and, and Nathan um, uh, and the, there is a point in this, I promise. But uh, um, the genius of Mr. Dara, who wrote this play, you know, there was the Bible, and then there's Mr. Dara, who somehow uh, took you know bits and pieces here and there, and he put together a play that made sense. You know, he he formed characters that seemed like real characters. You know, so I, I have to hand it to the guy uh, to to do that sort of thing, you know, to bring them off the pages and out of statues and put them on stage and have them move around and discuss things with people and just be, be people. Um, at the same time, I, I think that's what I've learned. Uh, I, I've learned that, uh, the people we're playing were indeed people. Uh, it was easy for me, you know, before I got on the play to, to think of, Jesus and, and Judas and, and all of the, the characters um, of the play as something kind of distant, something that happened a long time ago, uh, something that's really, you can't really touch it. It's not really there. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's up there in the high country and you really can't reach it. Um, I, I think that the play has uh, presented to me the possibility that these were all regular folk. You know, uh, the followers of Jesus were just blue-collar folk. You know, they, they weren't special by any means. And um, Jesus himself, I think, you know, had a certain charisma and uh, a magnetism. Uh, you know, uh, there was something about him, and, and I'm talking, you know, aside from the, you know, the miracles and the healings and so on and so forth, there was something about him that attracted people to him. He was well-spoken. He told a good story. He could sit down and, and drink wine with you. You know, he, he was just a regular guy. If he hadn't been, I think the story would, would have fallen apart somehow. You know, he has to be a guy. You know, the, the good Lord sent him down here. Uh, if he'd made him anything other than a, than a real person, the whole story wouldn't have worked. Uh, he had to be a guy. And I, and I think, you know, there, there's, uh, it, it may have even been the American Passion play up to a certain point that uh, Jesus was kind of not touchable. You know, he was a statue. He, you know, you couldn't come close to him. And I think even some of the guys who played him, kind of treated it that way. Don't uh, come close mm -hmm. to the Christus. Don't exactly. get yeah. in the Christus's <laughs> dressing room. You know, I, I think that was all part of it. Mm -hmm. Would you guys agree? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah, there's there's quite a bit that, uh, if I could just jump on that point Please. really quick. And historically, when Dara, so don't, let's just back up for a second. Delmer Dara was a professor of uh, elocution at Illinois Wesleyan University. Um uh, in the early, very early parts uh, of the 20th century, so in the 1910s. Um, and he not only formulated the script by drawing heavily upon scripture, um, but then he also did the fundraising and had the genius of, you know, helping uh, design and then get built what we now know as the Bloomington Center for the Performing Arts, uh, which was originally mm -hmm. Scottish Rite Temple. Mm -hmm. Um <clears throat> Uh, it was almost considered sacrilegious at the beginning of the 20th century for a, a human being to dare to portray an adult Jesus. 
Uh, you had some, you know, if, if you had a Christmas story, it was okay to have an infant, uh, you know, wrapped in swaddling clothes or something. But to actually have an adult Jesus being portrayed was a little daring really? uh, in the United States. And so how was uh, Dara going to uh, present this to the community at large, to the Midwest at large, and uh, not offend various um, Christian groups? Uh, but yet draw them in. Uh, and so part of what was done was to keep this character uh, a little bit in a bubble um, uh, so that it would not offend. And uh, so the first three, uh, there have been 13 uh, men playing Jesus now, including Nathan, who's sitting here. Lucky 13. Lucky yes. 13, yes. We'll go with good, that. Good prime number. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first three, um, Fred Hitch, Harold Walters, and Owen Brummett, portrayed um, sort of the untouchable Jesus. It was portrayed that way, and it was it was very well received that way. It wasn't until Harry Riddle, uh, and then a little bit later, Bob Johnson, who began the touchable Jesus that we have continued since, uh, I can date it, 1969, mm-hmm. uh, where... Harry began to reach out and touch people. Do you mean physically? Physically, yes. I see. So before that, there was literally no physical interactions between Jesus and the other people. Yeah, with just extremely rare uh, exceptions. One one would be this woman comes up to be healed in a healing scene. If I but touch the hem of his garment, I might be healed. She gets to touch his garment, not him. Uh, In the second half, of course, uh, the Roman guards have to kind of manhandle uh, the, the figure of Christ. And so, you know, then obviously he was having physical interaction. Uh, but yeah, the touchable Jesus uh, was very well received uh, by that, by the 19th, the end of the 1960s. And, and then that tradition's continued ever since. Um, and again, I think that helps relate uh, audiences um, to the figure of Christ and to the story Absolutely. You can imagine if you were to be transported back in time, truly, people would indeed be touching Christ. And just like you were saying, John, if you don't depict that correctly, it can seem like it's a make-believe type of thing. Mm-hmm. Unrealistic, far away, distant, not uh, not as compelling and gripping. But you need to start somewhere. Yes. Right? yes. And you need, to, you need to start so that it is it can be shoehorned into current society and then you move forward. Mm-hmm. Um just as long as we're on sort of the subject of um, uh, sort of relatable uh, characters in the intimate theater we have, I guess, you know, the live music, I, I, I want to bring that up. We have many talented musicians. Uh, all the music in this performance is, is done live, uh, either on the organ, uh, sometimes there's a violin or flute, and, and then there are human voices. And without that... I think you'd get most of the actors to say that the mood is completely incomplete. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yes. Yes, they would. Um, Even when we rehearse uh, before the music is added, it it just isn't quite the same. But even, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not close. So that's another element that sort of draws in audiences. And then there's this one other uh, figure that, uh, that Dara, um, it's an invention of Dara that makes this different than a lot of other plays. And he, he creates a, uh, 
um, a realistic uh, character that sort of stands in for the audience. And uh, this character is given the name Malachi, which is a biblical name. But he starts off as an old Jewish man. And, you know, uh, what do you do as a Jewish man? You keep the law. And so he sees Jesus early in the play as someone who is on the edge of the law, maybe breaking the law sometimes. Mm-hmm. So he starts following him around. And then he sort of has a conversion experience. Um, he's, you know, he sees him raise Lazarus and he, he's there at the triumphal entry. And then he becomes actually a follower of Jesus. And then by the, in the second half, he actually becomes an advocate for Jesus. And, and so Derry uses that figure for people to identify as a figure on the stage to sort of stand up for Jesus. And so he, he's also, uh, is a figure who can tell some of the backstory that's written in third person in the scriptures. So, you know, if you're going to write a play, you need a lot of first person dialogue. And so that's great. But when there's background information to talk about the, uh, the jealousy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, um, who's going to say that line when it's not written in first person? Mm-hmm. So, so Dara's genius was mm-hmm. to kind of put the audience on stage as a skeptic going in. We don't know who Jesus is when we walk into this play. Mm-hmm. We're going to follow him around. We learn who he is. We like it. We're going to, we feel so strongly about it. We're going to follow him and we're even going to advocate for him. And so he becomes that, and then also sort of the conscience of, of Judas at certain points to try to remind Judas that, you know, he's done something pretty awful. Um, so it's a device that's, um, I think, it's a very genius kind of invention of Dara that is a feature of this play that draws the audience even tighter into the action. Well, they also wrote uh, you know, Malachi. He, he wrote Malachi as he's a fictitious character, but he also wrote him in extremes. Just what Bob said, you know, he, he follows and then he converts. But in the very beginning, he's really a cranky old man. He's just stodgy and insulting and, uh, you know, hurls invectives at, uh, at uh, the Christus and just can't stand him. And, uh, you know. You know, as for me, I want nothing to do with him. He just is insulting. And then, and then he, he goes completely to the other extreme I'm at midway through the second half, you know. So it's not just, <laughs> yes, he, he's kind of down on him to start with, then he's up on him to end. It's like, it was, he's extremely down on him and then extremely up on him, uh, which really makes the character entertaining to watch. Absolutely. <clears throat> it sounds fascinating. And, guys, we'll be right back to talk more about this play and how people can watch it when, where, what they got to pay, and all that stuff. But first, here are a few words from our beloved sponsors. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Has Catholic Spirit Radio touched you? Maybe it has brought you closer to God or even into the church. Tell us your story. Call or text our listener comment line. If you like, you can remain anonymous. 773-541-4159. This is it. The final performances ever in Bloomington, Illinois. This is the last season for the spectacular performances of the American Passion Play, the greatest story ever told. The American Passion Play brings Christian history to life with authentic costumes, elaborate settings, and live animals. There's intrigue, drama, friendship, and as the plot unfolds, betrayal, sorrow, and love. You must see the American Passion Play before its final curtain falls at the Center for the Performing Arts in Bloomington. 
Viewed by generation after generation, this is theater at its best. Performance dates are March 11, 18, 25, and April 1st, and each performance begins promptly at 1 p.m. Reserve your American Passion Play tickets today by calling 309-829-3903. This is an important message for DeKalb, Sycamore, Morris, and Joliet listeners. Catholic Spirit Radio's recent purchase of a radio station in your area has been an expensive endeavor, but a worthwhile investment because in this boisterous secular world, we want your community to hear more about the real truths and beauty of the Catholic faith. With the expansion in your area, we now need your added financial help to maintain it. It costs $7,000 a month to run Catholic Spirit Radio, even with our all-volunteer staff. Show us the station matters to you and the souls of your community. Become a first-time donor. Better yet, become a monthly donor. Join other listeners. When you pay your monthly bills, include a Catholic Spirit Radio donation. Mail to 108 Boykins Place in Normal, Illinois, 61761. Or click the Donate button at catholicspiritradio.org. No one at the station receives a salary, and all donations are tax-deductible. Your donation keeps Catholic Spirit Radio in your community. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm your host, Paul Garcia, and today I'm talking with three men from the American Passion Play in Bloomington, Illinois. John Capasso, the director, Bob Trefsker, Judas, and Nathan Bassett, Jesus. Guys, how does it feel for you to be in the final year of this, this century-old play? I mean, this must be quite emotional for you, right? Uh, yes, actually it is. And, and I think when we first heard the announcement that this would be the final year, it wasn't necessarily a surprise, but it didn't make us happy. And I'm sure since then there's been many tears shed. I think uh, last night's practice, there probably were some extra tears shed. Um, but they're for good. We don't want to see the play go away, but we realize that's where we're at. Um, but the nice thing about it is, you know, this story has been going on for 2,000 years, and we're just a little chunk of 100 years in the story. When the play ends, the story continues. It's in how we, we tell it outside of the play that really matters. So so we're quite melancholy about it. We're, um, we're excited to put the play on, of course. I feel personally that because it's our 100th year and our final year, that there's going to be quite a bit more emotional energy behind it. I, I've already felt it. Um, and not that it makes the play better. It might make it more different. Um, because it's not like there hasn't been an emotional level to this play to begin with. Um, but I think with the backstory of this is our final year, this is the last time we're doing this for the first time kind of thing. Uh, we're, we're building up to the end, but I always look at it it's just the beginning, really, maybe maybe not in the form of the Passion Play, but maybe as a reminder of our our call, you know, go ye into the, all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. That's been our call since birth. Um, and so I think just, like I said before, knowing that this is our 100th and final season, it just brings a different perspective. Same story, but little bit more oomph maybe behind what we say and a little bit more passion. Maybe the passion will come out more than it always has in the past. Mm-hmm. And what do you want people to take away from this year more so perhaps than years past or just every single year? What do you want them to take away from watching this play? Well, I, 
I think the same, the same thing that we've always wanted. And we talk about if we can touch just one person in the audience, maybe we've done our job. Maybe we've, we've portrayed our role in the way that God would want us to in that way. Um, our hope is that we would be touching more than just one person, but we often, we often talk about that in practice. The seat we're sitting in during practice is going to be someone, one of our patrons who've come in and made the choice to come see the play that maybe it's this play today, the day they're viewing it, is the day they need to hear this story in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, and I can't help but think we're, we're going to reflect that. Not that we're so confident, but we know that, that God's got so much more in store than the story that we know for that person in that seat. What kind of feedback and reviews have you gotten about this show? Well, I mean, the feedback started in 1924. Yes, a few years back. Yeah, so you can actually go to the Daily Pantograph mm-hmm. archives and the, the the Sunday after the first performance, I think the minister of the First Methodist Church wrote an article, sort of an op-ed about it. So we've had reviews since the beginning, and, and that, that particular one was uh, quite good. It was like, well, this is kind of daring, right? Mm-hmm. But it's so good, and, and you know, we felt like this is such a great vehicle to help spread the word. Um, and really, as we've seen reviews over time, uh, most all the reviews reflect that. Once in a while, we'll get somebody who um, might take a, uh, maybe they're a little bit more critical, um, but and kind of look at it as a strictly a, a professional production, which is a bit unfair. This, uh, this is uh, largely an, a volunteer um, a production, and it's done in a very high-quality manner. Um, uh, nevertheless, I think, um, uh, by and large, we've always gotten very, uh, very positive reviews. And, and if I could just add on to something um, Nathan said here a minute ago about what we what we're looking for at the end of this hundred years. I think in addition to every wonderful thing he just said, I think we're looking for people who come to not only hear that message one more time, but to realize that they are now sharing um, the call (laughs) to go into all the world. Okay. This institute, this particular ministry, this particular uh, play drama, as we've put it on, won't be there anymore, and their the responsibility is shifting a bit, and we're passing the baton to others to carry on this noble uh, cause and this uh, you know most important story ever told to continue to tell it in a quality uh, manner. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I could just add one. One thing there, uh, I think the play has been assessed on two different levels. One is it, it is folk theater done by amateurs. It is what it is. There it is. Uh, Mr. Dara wanted it that way. He wanted amateurs to be on stage. He didn't want professional actors. He thought the audiences could relate better to uh, amateur performers and more spontaneity and so on and so forth. And, uh, and for a hundred years, that worked pretty well. Mm-hmm. The other level is, I, I, I came across, Bob talks about uh, some of the things that have appeared in the pantograph in 1943. In the very midst of World War II, uh, the violence of World War II, a person came to see the play uh, that spring 
and wrote uh, an editorial to the Panagraph that uh, that said something about um, world peace could be restored mm. <laughs> if people would just come and watch the play. <laughs> it's my favorite review of all time. <laughs> Re- world peace could be restored in 1943 if people would just go and watch the American Passion Play. High so, so, praise indeed. Yes. So, so one of the things that... Um, uh, might might seem a little odd uh, or unexpected for some people like us to say about the the acting and the audiences, uh, but maybe this is the moment to say it. We know that there will inevitably this is these are human beings out there. We have you know better than a hundred people out on stage. Uh, every performance in some sense is a little bit different just because you got a hundred people out there mingling around. You're going to have a line dropped here or changed there or something's going to happen. We also have on the audience side, uh, people who don't even speak English come. Uh, many times we've had people from the Polish community in Chicago come, uh, some of whom really don't speak English much less some of the more, you know, a little bit more arcane King James type version of English that you hear some in the script. So how do we, how do we know that, that the message is getting through? And, and, and we've come to understand, okay, you asked a little while ago, what, what other things have you come to learn about being in the place so long? One of the things we've learned is that somehow when the words and the, uh, the sound waves past the footlights. Um, we really think the Holy Spirit is fixing those things up for each individual person who comes to the play, and they're getting huh. a message that they need to hear. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got people who don't speak English coming away thinking it's the best thing they ever heard. You know, you talk to one of their translators. You know, how do they appreciate the performance? It's like mind blowing. It was great. It's almost as if they quote, quote understood every word without really hearing it. So, you know, I don't think we're really having um, uh, Pentecost-type speaking in tongue experiences where people are understanding in different languages. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that I think there's a way that the Lord intervenes to even fix little mistakes so that people get the brunt of the message mm-hmm. and everybody gets it in a way um, that uh, they can take with them from the performance. And so I think Almost everybody would be in agreement that they feel like, even if there's, we needed a little band aid in that scene or something, and we, you know, we kind of messed up a little here or there. It does, in the large scheme of things, it doesn't matter. It, it, the story is coming through, and we're so thankful for that. We, we're just thankful to kind of be the vessels that God's using to to help to help bring those messages to people. Yeah, go ahead. It's like we. We've talked in the last uh, week or so about, you know, how we want the play to be remembered. You know, um, it's soon going to become uh, part of the uh, annals of McLean County history, and they're, they're going to have uh, files on it at the History Museum, and people are going to do some research years from now, and they're going to maybe learn all these things, hopefully. Um, but, you know, it could go one of two ways. Do, do we want our audiences leaving uh, the auditorium the last performance saying you know what a stodgy old play it's about time it went to mothballs or 
Do we want them leaving saying, uh, that's the most inspiring thing I've ever seen in my life? Yes. <laughs> and I want to be a better person because, <laughs> you know, that's what we want them to say. And they won't remember last season. They won't remember any of the seasons before that. They're going to remember this one. And so that's, that's what we hope to convey uh, as the audiences leave. We want them shaking their heads and wondering why it's over. Mm-hmm. Can I see that again? Can it go longer? You know, is there a video of this play anywhere? Not officially. I, not, yeah, I think there's been some home movies taken. Yeah. Of it, well, yeah, and and that's pretty much the right answer. Um, there is some professional video that was shot a number of years ago that was edited up quite a bit to be able to make a few. Um, video commercial kind of spots, just, you know, one minute spot, three minute spot to, um, be able to advertise the play. Um, so some of that exists, but it's very limited, very limited. Um, and it's always been felt that this is a personal experience. Um, it's kind of a renewal, uh, experience. Um, it's, it's uh, it's the kind of experience you want uh, even a, a person who might be going uh, through a confirmation class or a church membership class so, uh, to be able to experience uh, uh, the the story of Christ, his ministry and his passion um, in a, in a in a much more tangible way than just somebody standing up in the front of a class teaching it mm-hmm. or just maybe looking at uh, stationary art. Uh, uh, but um, actually feeling, seeing human beings in the flesh right in front of you um, in a way that you can relate to it. So all of that's kind of kind of uh, compounded into a one blob there that we're trying to put out there in, in a in a meaningful, uh, tangible way. Mm-hmm. So for people who are listening, this sounds very compelling. It sounds like an interesting thing we want to see. Tell us everything we need to know. When is it? Where is it? How much are the tickets? How do we get the tickets? The play begins on March 11th, and it runs uh, four consecutive Saturdays, uh, March 18th, March 25th, and April 1st. And they are all one o'clock starts. Uh, the tickets are $25, and you can acquire them by calling this number, uh, 309-820-3903, 309-820-3903, and ask for Tina. And she'll let you use a Visa, MasterCard, Discover card. And uh, is that not what I said? <laughs> you were you are digit what? off. Oh, hey, <laughs> that was uh, that was Bob correcting John oh, saying that he said the yeah, number wrong right. there. So yeah, ignore what you just heard. We want you to call the right number. For that. Okay, or else so someone else right is number. going Sorry to about that. Yeah. It would be a yeah, weird call. Left a number off of there. 309-829-3903. Oh, 309-829-3903. Call okay. Tina and she'll set you up. Okay. And now I don't mean to sound any type of way, but is there an online option or is it yes. just a call-in? Okay. Well, well, the online option will lead you back to the call-in option. Mm-hmm. So, But the online option <laughs> yeah. is all one word, AmericanPassionPlay.org. 
American Passion Play dot org dot org not dot com correct dot org okay any predictions for the numbers this year we think they'll be huge mm-hmm. I'm right. serious they'll be huge they'll be three or four times what they have been in the, the recent past okay. I think there is this uh, there is this sentiment out there especially in Bloomington Normal I think Bloomington Normal folks have for years thought yeah I can always see the play you know we live here we can oh, we can see it next year. Well, they can't now. Uh, they have to see it this year, and I think they will. I think we'll have huge audiences, and I think they'll really, really like what they see. We have a regular group that comes from northern Indiana, which is the reason why we moved the start time from 2 to 1. We did this years ago. And uh, before tickets went on sale in November, she said, I think we can bring six buses this season. <laughs> wow. And about three weeks ago or so, it said, uh, the lady said, you know, if we could find just one more bus, we'll have 15 buses coming this year. <laughs> Are you kidding me? So yeah, they keep adding buses. They it's, keep adding buses. Great. She's hunting for more buses. So we could see that, uh, you know, kind of spill out into other areas also mm-hmm. as, as well. We're thinking that we could find a few buses to send over there yeah, to pick them yeah. up and bring them back here if we need yeah. to. We, we might be able to do that. <laughs> so I think the, the takeaway from this is, um, this is really worth seeing. Mm-hmm. It's really worth uh, being a part of for an afternoon. And it's worth getting your tickets now because they're, you know, we're down to a limited supply of, of, of tickets, but there are still plenty available. But act now so that, you know, you, you don't get left out. This mm-hmm. is something that you'll want to see, something that you might want to take um, – uh, people who are of, uh, you know, age of decision to come see, um, it's, it's a, can be sort of a considered once in a lifetime thing and see and be a part of, um, something that has been a tradition here, uh, for a hundred years. And one more time, uh, where is this located and how much are the tickets? It's at the Bloomington Center for the Performing Arts in Bloomington and the tickets are $25 a piece all right and, and, that's, it's first and that's a bargain my man mm-hmm. yes and you come and you wherever there are open seats you can sit no no these are reserved they're seats. reserved seats oh these are reserved seats mm-hmm. wonderful okay so there we really should call yes. now yes those tickets call, call now yes, okay ma'am. well guys john bob nathan thank you so much for coming on today it's really been a pleasure and i hope this year is just incredible i myself hope to see it with my girlfriend and i think it's going to be a wonderful time can't wait uh, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank, thank you for having us. Thanks we appreciate having us. the coverage appreciate and the attention. Yes. Of course, the pleasure is all ours. And thank you, everyone, for watching and listening to this episode of Catholic Conversations. Until next time, God bless and have a great week. You've been listening to Catholic Conversations. Download our podcasts at catholicspiritradio.com. 